Galaxy Con. Hey, did you hear the rumor that they're thinking of, of, uh, of creating uh, world money? You know, we have a thing called the U.S. money. You know, our dollar is a, it's a U.S. dollar. And, uh, of course, the French, or the franc, and the, the pound. And <laughs> did you hear that story? Yeah, they're thinking of creating a thing called world money. You know, it's just it's the money that uh, if you go to France, or if you go to England, or any place else, it's exactly the same no matter where you go. And it's called world money. Well, I don't know whether it's a good idea now. Who knows? <laughs> you don't know. Uh, you know, speaking of real things, you know, when I was a kid, if, uh, if I may tell you a story about uh, being a kid, I was really into, of course, I was a ham at the age of 10, roughly, 10, 11, yes. I was just getting to be 11 when I got my ticket, and I have been licensed ever since. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, here I was, uh, a ham, uh, even to this day, a ham is not to be confused with a with a CB, no way, whole different ball game. And uh, here I was, I was 11 years old, and I was, uh, I was sitting at night in my, in my bedroom with my uh, homemade receiver I had built. I had a, a 6L6 uh, oscillator, uh, crystal controlled. Uh, I had a 66-foot uh, uh, ZEP antenna fed with uh, twin-space 600-ohm uh, uh, open lead, all this stuff I've done here. I'm 11, <laughs> and uh, now when I look back on it, I realize that was a, that was a kind of a strange kid, you know. And I'm sitting there in this in this bedroom every night, and I'm talking to guys in places like uh, Murmansk. Well, you know, most kids that I knew at 11 o'clock, uh, at 11 years old, had trouble talking to the guy at the candy store. And here I was, I was knocking off uh, long QSOs, long conversations with guys in places like uh, Denmark, and uh, not thinking anything of it, except I dug it all the way. See, well, of course, we were dealing in a symbolic language. It was code, uh, code, CW, uh, which I still uh, am into very much. And I'm sitting there talking away, and, and I'd be sitting, and in fact, with the guy I got talking to in that period, that I always talked to about every every other Wednesday he would be on, about 7 o'clock at night on 20 meters on the low end of 20, and uh, I'd sit there and, and we'd jabber back and forth. A G, a G is an English ham, and uh, he was a, a G3 and who was uh, 14 years old. <laughs> so the two of us would sit there and by the hour, you know, jabber back and forth, a uh, transatlantic uh, uh, kid trivia talk, you know, sitting there. Uh, when our highly complex technical stuff, and so I got into this this uh, business of uh, of uh, symbolic language. You know, a code is a symbolic language. Well, one day I was uh, I was with another guy who was a ham, and uh, he said he had to go to school at night. So he said, he said I, I I I can't hang around. He said I'm I'm late for class. So I said, what class are you going to? And he says this thing I never heard of it before. It would be like if somebody said to you, I'm going to uh, spiritualism class. Somebody said, what the hell? He says, uh, yeah, I'm going to this class. He says, it's, uh, they're giving it down at the Indiana University Extension. And, you know, we were in school. We were in high school, uh, just uh, junior high, rather. And he's going down to this school, and uh, he's a ham, and he's taking his card. So I said, what is it? And he says, well, come on down. He says, so they're signing up, and it's free. So, you know, damn free, so... I, I took off on the bus with him, and I went down at his place, and I signed up, and I started to take this course. Well, I went back there for uh, over a year and studied every week 
taking this course. And uh, and I got very fluent in it. We'd sit there, and he and I would, would talk for hours. And uh, none of the other kids, all around us, uh, you know, the kids in school, could conceivably understand what we were talking about. Estado. Estado que... Estado que sumesta. Oh, well, you know, who, who cares? But now... Now, you, you know, you, you, you can't, you, you really can't separate yourself from, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you, you, you get into these crazy things like that. And uh, and I knew, well, listen, I knew a kid who at the age of, this was a, a family I knew, who has this kid, see. And uh, this guy went over to Denmark to study something. He's a, he's a scientist. And he went over to, to Denmark to study some kind of anthropology thing that he was going over there for. And they stayed in this Danish home. He said, it's incredible. He says, within about three days, this five-year-old kid is out on the street talking to all the other kids in absolutely fluent Danish. This kid talked Danish like he, you know, he was five. He didn't know any different. He's out there talking away with these kids. He learned it in about three weeks. And he says, he and his wife sitting around the house, they couldn't understand anything for years. <laughs> the kid is jabbing away. He says, and after, after an entire year of this, the kid was, you know, absolutely fluent in Danish. He, he could be... Danish, just like he could uh, uh, speak Danish, just like he could speak English. And uh, all the kids, he went to a Danish school, a whole bit, he's five, he went to kindergarten and everything. And uh, they came back, and he said within about a year and a half, this kid not only couldn't read, couldn't, couldn't understand Danish, he didn't remember speaking it. Well, I don't know, you know, what to say about that, except there it is. Uh, but, but I spoke this language. And, uh, yes, in fact, it even got to the point where we were writing, like, uh, in this school. It was at Indiana, in, in Indiana University Extension. And uh, here we were, he, he and I, this guy Stanley Roper and myself. We were the only kids in the whole thing. See, the, all the others were grown-ups. You know, they were college students and all that. And uh, we were kids, and we were really into it. And so we had themes. We would write a theme every week, and they would give us, they would give us lessons to work out. And it was really fun. I mean, I really enjoyed it. And it got to the point where we could speak it fluently. The, the whole class was conducted in that language. The second semester was like advanced, you see. The second semester, at that point, everything that was said in class was conducted in the language. And it was an artificially created language that was a combination of English, Spanish, German, French, uh, most of the major languages. But it was, a, it was a constructed language. It was not the, an endemic language. And uh, we could speak this like, uh, you know, like natives. We started to even speak with a strong accent of that type. And we took the smoking little short, angry-looking cigars and wearing a straw hat, pulled down low over our eyes. We looked like a total native, you know. <laughs> now, what was the name of that language? Well, when, when you get into this kind of stuff, you know, you, you just do it. Uh, and, uh, and he and I would learn this. Now, the reason that... Uh, that I gave up on that. Of course, after a year of this stuff, where can you go? I knew how to speak it, and that was the end of it. There was no more, no more point in it. But, uh, but I got into another thing as a kid now. Now, and this has never left me. And for those of you who are who are into this thing, I have some uh, very important, interesting news. Not news, really, but a, but a, but a story here. You know, when you did, uh, I can't explain how some guys, some people, get into things 
the people around them have absolutely no interest in whatsoever. And they come from the same background, the same environment, the same shtick, you know? For example, I'm probably the only guy that ever came from my hometown, which is a whole big town, 200,000 people that I know of, who ever went into showbiz. I never heard of anybody else. Nobody else. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've never heard of anybody else who, who came from that area, who went into any kind, except one guy, one guy. Yes, he was a legendary character. There was a guy who came from our high school who, whoa, in the way past, you know, in the early past days, before, long before I ever got to this high school, he was just sort of a legend. He had been a movie star, but it was only rumored that he had lived there. <laughs> But nobody ever actually knew. But uh, so there's no explaining this. There isn't any really. And uh, and this 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 uh, for some reason when I was about twelve, roughly twelve, I got unbelievably, unbelievably hooked on books. Now I don't mean reading necessarily books. Oh, yes, have you ever met a, a, a really dedicated bibliophile? Oh, boy, that's a, that's a, that's a fanaticism that borders on uh, the true maniacal. Uh, a, a dedicated bibliophile, uh, he, and he doesn't necessarily read much. <laughs> He's just It's just like you don't think, for example, that, that the stamp collectors mail letters, do you? Or write a lot of letters to their aunt. No way. They collect stamps. Quite often, it has nothing to do with with mailing things. Uh, and that's the same way with guys that are gun collectors. I know a gun collector that is afraid ever. He would never shoot a gun. This guy's really scared of guns. He never shoots guns, but he collects guns. And nothing to do with collects them as works of art. And he has a whole giant, fantastic collection of guns, but he never shoots his guns. No way. <laughs> He's scared of them. Uh, he just doesn't do that. This is WOI, New York. Well, anyway, I got I got into uh, I got into books and that. Now, now, how I got into books, of course, uh, I can I can really tell you it it, it came about uh, first. I started to go to the library, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I went to the library there, and Miss Easter was in charge of the library. She had white hair, and uh, she she used to uh, she used to encourage kids coming to you know to to the library there, and uh, like in many libraries, discourage kids. Sadly enough. But uh, she was she was great, and uh, we'd go to the library, and, and and every Saturday they had. Did you ever go to these things when you were a kid? Every Saturday they would have some uh, somebody would read stories to the kids in the library. Sure, they have that here in New York. Uh, that the library has a has a program like that where people who know how to read stories well, and uh, they they come to the library. Well, one of my earliest remembrances of the library was going down on a Saturday afternoon at 2 with a bunch of other little kids. We were little kids. We were maybe, oh, I guess 6, something like that, 5. And uh, and they would have a lady there who read stories. Now, what? And she read all kinds of stories. She would read stories like, uh, like uh, oh, she would read out of the Oz books. And she read uh, stories like, uh, she read us, uh, for example, Mark Twain. She would read us, in fact, one whole month, every Saturday, she would read us chapters of Tom Sawyer. And, uh, you know, that was really great. Uh, those kids just sitting there really digging it. 
So you, we developed a, a taste, I think, uh, around there because of this scene. We developed this taste for literature, not necessarily uh, uh, Marvel Comics literature, real literature. And uh, that was a whole different... And I'm really delighted now when I look back on that. So that was, that was a very important thing that happened to me. Uh, and I didn't know it at the time. But uh, when you're five and you're sitting there listening to, to Mark Twain and uh, you're listening to uh, Alice in Wonderland, uh, you're listening to the real thing, uh, you begin to see there's a certain shallowness in uh, Superman. <laughs> it just doesn't quite make it. So uh, we, we'd sit there, and it was not that we were intellectuals. It was like the stories, you know. We really dug the stories. And uh, there, there were times when they even acted them out. I remember they, uh, they had this, this troop of uh, actors came there one time. And uh, like the paper bag players and all, and a troop of actors, and they the one whole month every Saturday from from two till three or three thirty or four something like that, they would they would lower the lights in the library there, in the kids section they had a big kids section, and they would they would actually perform all of these stories, and it was fantastic. I really dug it. <laughs> now that I look back at it, I really liked it. I remember there was a guy playing, for example, there was. I remember seeing uh, uh, they did uh, they did one of the Oz stories. Now most of the people don't know the other Oz stories. Most of most people go through they went backwards into the Oz world. They they started out by seeing the movie Judy Garland, and then they read the book from which that movie was made, which happened to be Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, which was only one book. There were some better Oz stories by far than that one. Did you know that? Oh, very, very little known. And they were tremendous. And there was one, for example, that dealt with, uh, Dorothy was in all of them, by the way, uh, Ozma of Oz. Do you know who Ozma was? What do you mean? You don't know who Ozma was or is in literature? Sure. Uh, the Scarecrow. But you don't know what happened in the later life of all these people. And the earlier life, too, which was really interesting. So, uh, the uh, this one particular one that I remember them da- doing was the was the uh, pumpkin head of Oz. Did you ever hear of him? Well, you've heard of the you've heard of the uh, Tin Woodman, and certainly the Lion, the Cowardly Lion. You also heard of the Scarecrow. Well, now all three of those creatures were bound on a quest. What was their quest? Each one. Uh, what was the Tin Woodman after? That's right. He was looking for a heart. Now, what had happened to him? He'd been a human person, you know. And the Tin Woodman was a woodman. And unfortunately, you know what it's like when you're dealing with a double-edged axe. He would keep cutting himself, and they did, as he would, he would he'd chop away at us. So one day they came, and they, they, uh, they gave him a tin leg. And then a couple of years later, he cut his other leg badly, and they gave him uh, another tin leg. And this kept up until finally he was made entirely out of tin. He was still a woodman. However, he, he, uh, the one thing he lacked, though, obviously, was a heart. So he needed a heart. But he, outside of that, he was great. Now, when Dorothy discovered the tin woodman, in what condition was he? That's correct. He could not move because he'd been out there working in the forest one day, and he got caught in the rain, and he was, he was uh, rusty. And there he was, forever, out there waiting for somebody to come along with a can of oil and release him. (laughs) At which point Dorothy 
was able to pull this off. Now, uh, the scarecrow, on the other hand, what was he looking for? The scarecrow. That is correct. He was looking for a. He was looking for brains. He wanted a set of brains. He was very unhappy because here he was. He was a scarecrow, and his head was stuffed with what? Straw, right? And he wanted brains. Now, on the other hand, the uh, cowardly lion was looking for what? Well, it's obvious. He was cowardly. He wanted courage. He needed courage. And uh, so all three of them proceeded on a trip, uh, accompanied by Dorothy, who was just sort of along. And they, they, they headed towards where? No, they were in Oz. They were in Oz at this time. Where did they go? Now, come on. They went to this place, uh, and, and it was a very important trek. A trek it was. It was a great quest. You know that almost all the world's great literature is based on a search or a tre or a quest. Now, maybe you've never thought of this, but almost all the great world's literature, the Odyssey, uh, Captain Ahab, uh, almost all of them, uh, the Red Badge of Courage was, was really the Cowardly Lion. <laughs> he was looking for courage. Uh, almost all the world's great literature is based on a quest. I mean, really great literature. I'm talking about Dante's Inferno. I'm talking about uh, Tom Sawyer, uh, particularly Huck Finn. Huck Finn was a classic example of a quest when he set out on a raft. Uh, so here, here you have a quest going. Now, uh, what, uh, what, what were they looking for? Where did they go? Now, the, the three of them went. Uh, Dorothy, or rather four of them, Dorothy, the Scarecrow, uh, the Lion, and the Tin Woodman. Now, where were they going? That is correct. They were going to the Emerald City, which was at, in, in what point in Oz? Where was the Emerald City geographically in Oz? See, all these things are very important. <laughs> I mean, if you're, going to, if you're going to be a real student of this, you have to know that this is, this is an important part of the thing. All right, I'll tell you. The, the Emerald City was right in the middle of Oz. The Oz, Oz was divided up into four quadrants. Oz was roughly circular. And right in the middle of it was the Emerald City. It was the capital. And everything revolved around the Emerald City. Now, what were the names of the four countries? It's not enough to simply say the Wicked Witch of the West or the Good Witch of the East. Uh, what was the name of the countries? I'll give, you, I'll give you one to set you off, maybe. Uh, hasn't one ever heard of the Munchkins? All right, that was one land, the land of the munchkins. Now, what were some of the other lands? And each one was a different color. Each, each country, when you got in this country, it was a whole different color. One of them was yellow. Which one was yellow? Well, you know what this was based on? See, when, uh, when Frank Baum, who was the writer of the Oz stories, was writing, kids used to study a thing called geography. Now, when you study geography, you studied what? Maps? And as you studied maps, all the countries in, a, say, if you were looking at the map of Europe, had different colors. So it's quite logical that when you're creating a, a fictitious land, you could, uh, you could actually create a land where they really were, in fact, different colors. So here was the yellow one, here's the blue one. 
<laughs> now, the Emerald City was obviously green. Now, the, the next question, but not really. Now, that is fascinating. Why was the Emerald City not really green? Aha! Now we're getting into some very definite era, esoterica here. So if you think this was just a casual... Now, I'll tell you more, more about the Emerald City and, and, the, and the, that whole land. Do you know that the people who really got into Oz, just like the people who get into, uh, well, Wonderland, for example, the classic example of a land. Did you know that a lot of the great literature, there's a special subgenre of literature that is based on the creation by the writer of a, an artificial country, a whole land, where he, he creates a land, he creates the people, and in some cases even a whole set of laws, he creates a religion, the whole business. Can you name some of those? Well, how about Erewhon? Samuel Butler, you ever heard of Erewhon? Have you ever heard of, uh, uh, say, uh, another example of a land that was created? Come on. Oz is an obvious one. What about Wonderland? Another country. What about Tolkien? There's an example of a created country where the people have their own religion, uh, their own bad guys and good guys. And uh, this is a very interesting kind of uh, writing that creates a whole country like that. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a really an escape. That's a true escape literature where you, you really aren't even in your own world. And it goes beyond, uh, say, something like science fiction. It becomes something else. It's a, it's a kind of fantasy writing that is uh, very curiously philosophical because you've created a whole... Well, all right, uh, what, do you, what, what is the most famous mythical country of all? It's been done in the movies. It's been done in a hundred different plays. A very famous country. At one time, it was presided over by Ronald Coleman. Shangri-La. <laughs> There's an example. Uh, Shangri-La is a, a classic example of, of, a, of, a, of a mythical country that was, that was created by the writer uh, as, a, as a place that... Of course, all these... Uh, the interesting thing about all these various mythical countries is that they all are curiously utopian, and almost all of them, and this is what, what gives the kind of a nuttiness to it, almost all of them are dictatorships. They are all dictatorships, and they're all benevolent dictatorships, which, of course, has been the dream of mankind since all time. In other words, the people... See, we, 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 our psychologically... Well, our head is, is in a certain way. We like liberty when you see it written. But most people secretly are afraid of it because you have to make so many decisions of your own. And you can fail. <laughs> your decisions can cause you infinite problems. That's true liberty. And so in the, in the, in the, in the pursuit of these various uh, uh, countries uh, that writers have, have created, almost every one of these countries is a benevolent dictatorship. Now, now, now try to figure out one that wasn't. Now, I try to figure out one that was not a benevolent dictatorship. How about, uh, uh, of course, you remember uh, uh, Jonathan Swift's great uh, country. What was his? Yeah, Lilliputia. And uh, that, was, that was an interesting country where Gulliver himself came, and, and he, was, he was living in Lilliputia and observing the, the, the natives. Now, in the case of the dictatorship in, in Oz, who was the dictator of Oz? Who? Yeah, the wizard. But was he really, in fact, the wizard? 
Or was he a trickster? Exactly. He was a fakerini. And uh, he had he was the first known use of electronic fakery. He had a gigantic PA system. <laughs> yeah, he had a he had a PA system, see? And and uh, when when the people would come to see the wizard, they never really saw the wizard. Uh, they would see this tremendous facade. Lights would light up. He did a light show for them. And he was hiding behind a screen with a microphone. And when they when they would ask him a question, they said, please, wizard, they would come creeping up on their knees, please, wizard, would you give us, uh, would you give us this great benevolence? I need brains. And uh, could you help me with uh, brains? And then immediately he would press the button and this enormous voice would come on. I am the wizard of Oz. Wow. I mean, when you hear that, yeah, he must have had uh, he must have had some really fantastic Jim Lansing speakers hidden in the corner there, and he really gave him help. Well, all right, the, the Wizard of Oz was a dictator, and uh, in the end, when he was deposed, now I'll ask you a really interesting thing. When at the end of of the of, the, of Dorothy and the Wizard, he was kicked out, if you recall, he left. Uh, how did he leave Oz after they showed he was a humbug, but a lovable one? Correct. He left by balloon. They didn't, uh, you know, like in the normal course of events in, in the real world, what happens when a dictator is deposed? Well, if he isn't, uh, that's right, if he isn't uh, disemboweled by the roaring crowd, he usually moves to Switzerland with a gigantic Swiss bank account and lives happily ever after, eating uh, $4 a pound chocolate. Okay, now, uh, in the case of the wizard, the wizard left, and he left by a what? See, I'm asking the class here. All right, he left by a balloon. Now I'm going to ask you the biggie question. He was succeeded by whom? Who took over then? You know, this country was not going to be anarchistic. You're writing it down. No, it was not the scarecrow. No, the scarecrow was a loyal subject. Well, uh, that was only briefly. The beautiful witch sat on the throne there for a short time. But the actual ruler, the, 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 the legendary hereditary ruler of Oz came to Oz in the next story, which was even better than the one they made the movie on. And in fact, for those of you who are curious about the chronology of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, you know that, that there was at one time when they made the movie, when they actually made that movie, uh, the, the great debate of the producers was whether to make that, the first, that novel into a movie, which was Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, or make the second one, which was called The Land of Oz, into a movie. Because that's a much better story, actually. And, uh, and uh, it, it involved also, it, uh, it involved uh, the, 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 well, the Tin Woodman. Now, as a kid, I remember this, this group of players came to this, this library that I was going to when I was a kid, and they, they uh, this one guy played... Uh, the pumpkin head. So there was a guy called Jack. His, his, he had a pumpkin head, just like the the the, uh, uh, the scarecrow was a person. Actually, he was a scarecrow, and he, he looked for his brain. The pumpkin head. You don't know about him, do you? Well, what was he searching for? He had an interesting history, too. If you don't know about him, you don't know who he is then. But I was fascinated, because this was one of my favorites of all the odd stories. Did you ever hear a TikTok of Oz? Ah, you have yourself. I, I envy people who have never read all the Oz stories because because uh, it's a it's a fantastic world. And if you if you really get into this world, you, you have to let yourself really go. 
And if you get into uh, uh, the chronology of all the various characters, there were many, uh, quite a few, not many, but enough of the Oz stories were written by Frank L. Baum. Absolutely great classics. They will live forever, uh, the Oz stories. But the, the, uh, the ramifications of, of uh, all the various uh, Oz histories, as you begin to read it, you begin to... Uh, and, and there was a time, by the way, in one of the Oz stories where Dorothy is referred to by many of the characters as a legendary character that some of them believe in, others don't, because it happened in the past, this visit from this human person. <laughs> it is fascinating. All right, uh, here's another here's another uh, mythical country that uh, uh, that uh, I'll lay on you. What? Now, some mythical countries have a kind of mystical fairyland quality about them. In other words, uh, you take Oz as, as that example. There are witches and good witches and bad witches. Other countries are really based on what could be called a logical country, but it never existed. It's, it's a country, a totally created country. Uh, there was a very famous series of novels that were written uh, back around the turn of the century about a mythical kingdom that it very closely resembles Grace Kelly's world. I will give you a clue. The, the country began with G. began with G, and it was also made into a movie, and also Ronald Coleman was one of the heroes of this. <laughs> oh, wow. You see it on old TV once in a while. It's a mythical kingdom, a, a, a true middle Europa-type kingdom, uh, you know, where, the, where, they have, uh, where they have people called paupers, and they have people called uh, the crown prince, who's handsome, who's always going fox hunting. And he keeps and he meets a pauper who looks exactly like him, and they change places because <laughs> he wants to know how it feels to be. You know, you, you know. All right, what was the name of this kingdom? Begins with a G. Come on now, you guys are literate people. In fact, this has become a a, a word in the dictionary, and often when uh, when a country is described, they will describe it in those terms. Just like today, we use the word Wonderland. Well, Wonderland was a word that was created by Lewis Carroll, and so today now we we just accept that as a regular word, you know. But actually, people say it had the Wonderland overtones, right? Well, this country, uh, they, they often describe Luxembourg, they often describe uh, Monaco in terms of this country. Even the uniforms look alike. You know, the, the guy, the... the, the, the the, the, the army that consists of only three people, two generals and a colonel, <laughs> and one private that comes once in a while, and he's a, a jovial guy named Otto. Uh, and that's actually the way it is in, in Monaco. What is the name of this country? It begins with a G. It's written by an American, and, and I'll, I'll give you one other clue. You may not know this, but his uncle, uh, that is, uh, I knew a guy who who remembers this man, the man who wrote this book, because it was his uncle who wrote it. A legendary piece of, uh, piece of fantasy. Now, come on. Now, see, there you go. All right, is there no more spots here? Good. Well, so when you get, when you get hung on, uh, when you get hung on legendary countries like that, 
Uh, one of the most famous, all right, I'll tell you another little story about legendary countries. There's an author who died here a couple years ago who had a great tragedy before him. He wrote 17 years creating a fantastic manuscript of a whole country that he wrote. He created his whole country, laws, uh, religion, uh, even the kind of houses, the way the people talk, everything else. And he left the manuscript. He was on his way to New York. He left the manuscript of 17 years of work on the Penn Central train, and it was never recovered. He went back to his office and began to write, and five years later he had reconstructed it again. How's <laughs> that for that, 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 that manuscript has never been found. What was the name of that country? Okay. Well, now I'll give you... Uh, you haven't even given me the names of, of the other people in Oz other than the Munchkins. You mean you don't know the names of, of the four peoples of Oz? I'll give you a clue. One of the other ones was the Winkies. And what color were the Winkies? <laughs> oh, man. All right, what was Dorothy's aunt's name? What was her uncle's name? What state did she live in? You know, she's an American. That's right. She's from Johnny Carson's home state. She's from Kansas. Correctement. And did she go back to Oz ever again after she left Oz? Do you recall she left Oz and went back home? Did she go back again? Aha. Aha. Well, from that, I'll tell you the strange saga of Ozma of Oz. Ozma, O-Z-M-A, Ozma of Oz. You know, people live in their own way. They, they, they've created artificial countries. But has it occurred to you that the, that, the, that the world of the celebrities to many people is a, a legendary land that is inhabited by super beings who do not, who do not live with the ordinary laws and problems of of the walking around person. Yes. So we have a desire always in our heads to create a land where none of the problems that we face in our walking around lives. That's why we did a movie. Have you, have you ever watched uh, the endless violence on television? But have you noticed how rare it is that you actually see blood? People don't bleed on TV. Of getting shot by a 357 Magnum at 10 feet away. If you know anything about that gun, he'd be spread over about a five-eighth of field. Cannon gets shot with a 3006, which I saw in a recent event. Five minutes later, he's driving his Lincoln down the street. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> That's magical. That's mystical. All right, I'll give you. I'll give you one one answer for tonight. The, the legendary European middle Europa country. Many movies were based on a concept close to this. Did you ever hear of Graustark? Graustark. Get your dictionary out and read. Look under Graustark. G-R-A-U-S-T-A-R-K. Graustarkian. Graustark is a legendary country. Inhabited totally by Douglas uh, Fairbanks Jr. <laughs> this is W-O-R New York. Stay for in conversation.